0: Good morning church, Merry Christmas to you, so glad you're here and if you've joined us online this morning, welcome, thanks for getting up and joining us, we appreciate it, so glad you're here. Uh, Just to uh, piggyback on Spencer's uh, encouragement to us for Christmas Eve, I hope you'll uh, choose to be with us 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock, should be a good time, remember it's a family service, it'll last less than an hour. Bring your children, bring your grandkids. We'll have little bags for them as well. It'll be a beautiful time, very traditional, and a a great uh, Christmas Eve celebration. And then next Sunday, the day after Christmas, uh, on the 26th, we are not going to be on campus a week from today. We're going to be online only. So our services will be at the regular times, but online only. So we won't be meeting here on our campus a week from today on the 26th, the day after Christmas. And we just uh, imagine that you'll be with family and friends probably on that day. And this will be a great opportunity for you to tune in our worship service that day and maybe invite some of your family and friends to be part of that as well. Um, Again, it will be a brief service, less than an hour, about 45 minutes long, 50 minutes at tops. And uh, you can invite the kids. Uh, I'm going to give a little message that day, a week from today, called the three-mile-an-hour God. Three miles an hour, if you think about it, is the speed of a person walking. And Jesus apparently changed the whole world, changed eternity, and never went faster than three miles an hour. Um, So it'll be a little message about adjusting your pace as we think about next year and trusting Jesus along the way. So it'll be meaningful, and I hope that uh, you'll tune in. So a week from today, on the 26th, online only. You got it? If you come here, you'll be lonely because no one will be here. So you have to tune in a week from today on the 26th. You got it. Someone, I'm I'm talking to someone right now, you're going to show up here next week (laughs) because you weren't listening. And so I can tell. But most of you will get it. So that's great. Thank you so much. I want to share a simple message to you today because... Um, as you know, we receive one special offering every year, and it's the Christmas offering. And you can see the designations for this year's Christmas offering. We've already funded Blood and Fire's Christmas store and children's Bibles. You know, this children's Bible ministry has now distributed over 11,000 children's Bibles over the last several years. Isn't that <laughs> phenomenal? Just great. And, of course, recovery ministries are so acutely important in our community. We we want to support a ministry to the Winchester House for women. And as you know, we are ready to break ground next month, break ground on a new home that we are going to build downtown here in Muncie for men in recovery. It will be kind of a last stage of recovery as men try to transition back to their lives and their families and their work. And we're, rather than remodeling the house, we've decided... It'll be just as efficient to build a new house. And so just this past week, we've gotten final approval from uh, city officials so that all the land and the setbacks and all that sort of thing are settled so we can break ground soon. And so most of the offering, as you can see, will go to the recovery home for men, and we're very excited about this. This time next year, we should have that thing up and going, and it should be very exciting. So. Uh, the United States broke a new record this year, uh, over 100,000 opioid deaths in America. And I don't have to tell you, all of us have been personally affected by someone we know or love and our family or friends, affected by drug addiction in our in our community. And so this will be a great asset, and we know God's going to use it. And I can imagine the miracles and the stories of miracles that will come out of out of this home. So thank you for being generous. Close by, you have a, an offering envelope that you can grab and take with you. Uh, you can write a check, put it in there for the Christmas offering, drop it in the box on the way out. You can take it home. It's self-addressed and postage paid, and so you can just stick it in the mail, and it will come back to us. So if you're still writing checks and that sort of thing, that's convenient for you. Grab one of those envelopes. Beth and I have already given our Christmas offering on the app, and I encourage you to do the same. So thanks, thanks for your generosity. Okay, today I want to preach a, a brief message. It's a holiday message. Uh, you know when you came into the parking lot today that there weren't as many cars. It's because we dismissed so early in the for, first service. And that's because the preaching is abbreviated during the holidays. You're welcome. <laughs> and so I just want to be an encouragement to you. I don't want to add to the burden of all the other responsibilities. Today I want to just uh, share a simple message called Christmas is not your birthday. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the Old Testament prophet of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 61, and the prophet now is prophesying about Jesus, and the context here, the heading is the year of the Lord's favor, and I hope that it will be an encouragement to you. Jesus actually went into the synagogue one day in his earthly ministry, and they handed him the scroll of Isaiah, and he opens it up, and he opens up to this passage, and of course, he's talking about himself. And when you hear these words, you'll understand that this is a perfect description of Jesus. And then as it unfolds, how the blessing of God and the favor of God is going to rest upon his people. I hope it's an encouragement to you. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word. Thanks for doing that as you're able. Verse 1 The Spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will build the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. And you will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance, and so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. May God encourage and inspire us today through his word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. How many of you in the room are old enough to remember receiving the Sears and Roebuck catalog in your house? These are all the old people in the room. Gosh, wasn't it exciting when when the catalogs came, like the Christmas catalogs. They usually came, you know, in September in preparation. I can remember the first place I went to in the catalog was the toy section. Remember that? And I would, I would earmark, you know, I'd bend the corners of the pages over so I could go back to that page if I wanted to see something I was really excited about. Now the, uh, the toys, of course, have become more sophisticated. they are PlayStations and, and uh, new pads of some sort, new technology. I've got to have the, iPad, the, the iPhone 13 with the big screen. Um, and so you, some of you parents, grandparents have already gotten these orders. It's, it's become uh, quite a sophistication. Have, have you f- found with me outrageous uh, Christmas commercials that start coming on like in August of the year? It's, uh, it's an astonishing thing. We have been hypnotically lured, if you will, by the seductive marketing sirens of mindless consumption and continue to feed this ambition we have for more stuff. Uh, it's kind of crazy, you know, so much stuff piling up so many places. Uh, I'm talking to people right now, for example, who can't park your car in your garage because you have so much junk piled up in your garage, you can't get the car in there. You'll pay tens of thousands of dollars for a nice car, and then you'll leave it sitting outside because you have so much junk in your garage. It gets really quiet. <laughs> Peace on earth. <laughs> but we're all, we're, we're all in its clutches to one degree or another. Beth and I have discovered over the years that when you're watching like a favorite program on TV, that the commercials are actually designed just for you. They know you're watching. They know your demographic. They know your age. They know your worldview. And so they cater. People get paid lots of money. There's lots of science behind this so that the commercials are uniquely designed, customized to be appealing to you. It's fascinating. So, you know, if if you're a teenager, for example, and you're watching a favorite show, the commercials likely to be about acne medication, or, or, or the, the latest technology you should buy. Beth and I have noticed recently that some of the shows we enjoy now, the commercials are about Medicare supplements <laughs> and at-home-use catheters. It's, it's, it's not encouraging. Oh, boy, I'm watching the wrong program again. Here it comes. Amazing. According to the National Retail Federation, every adult in America this year will spend $997.79 buying food and decorations and presents for Christmas. That's every adult, $997.79. If there's a two-adult family, you know that's a couple of thousand dollars that's uh, just being spent. The average uh, balance on a credit card in the United States right now is $6,200. Now, most people don't have just one credit card. They have two or three or four. The average balance, it gets quiet again, (laughs) so quiet, $6,200. Now, on the other hand, we have had over 200 people, I think the number's about 230-something individuals and couples who have gone through Financial Peace University here at Union Chapel over the years. And I know as a result of that, I'm not talking to a lot of people who have that kind of balance on a credit card because you would know better if you've taken Financial Peace. And, and so I'm probably preaching to the choir right now about this subject, but all of that to say that enormous amounts of money, billions of dollars are spent every year around Christmas time, and it's been hijacked and exploited. We all know that, commercialized and materialized. And I just want to remind us this morning that Christmas is not your birthday, unless, of course, your birthday's on December 25th. There are people like that. Uh, Uh, One of my assistants uh, for over 20 years on our staff here, her birthday was on Christmas. And so it was easy to remember, but, but a little unusual. So unless your birthday is actually on Christmas, then we have to just acknowledge that this is not your birthday. It's Jesus' birthday. And maybe he should be the focus of the celebration. Just a hunch. Let me ask you this question. What does God look like? What's he look like? How would you recognize God if He showed up? I mean, if he actually walked in the room right now, would you would you notice? Would you recognize him? How could you tell? What does he look like? Century before Jesus' birth, the prophets had an indication about what he might be like, and so they prophesied future tense and said things like, Wonderful counselor, he'll be a mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the government of our lives shall be upon his shoulder, and peace. The peace he will bring will have no end, Isaiah 9, 6. But this Messiah king would also know suffering and rejection. We read that from Isaiah 54. His mission would clearly prioritize the poor and the marginalized. We read that today from Isaiah 61. Expectations of what this Messiah would be like or look like were varied and sometimes conflicting. For example, in the Hebrew world, the Hebrews believed that the Messiah would actually be a political revolutionary and that he would restore the Davidic kingdom and, and hierarchy and that's what they were looking for. The Greek cultures, on the other hand, believed that a Messiah, a Savior, might come and, and give us a, an idyllic afterlife. So they focused on that kind of picture. Let me ask you the question maybe a little different way. What is your mental picture of God when you pray? Do you conceptualize God as you're praying? For example, do you pray to a critical, condemning judge or a merciful, loving parent? How you visualize God that way matters. A God who favors some over others or a God who loves all of creation and all people who make up this incredible planet? Do you picture a Savior who is concerned only with saving people for life after death or one who is actively engaged in restoring and renewing devastated places in the here and now? Good questions, aren't they? Do you believe that God always rewards obedience with material wealth and physical health or that God remains present with us in our poverty and our pain and our suffering? Let me just remind you, Jesus is not what folks expected. He was not. When you think about God, adjectives like powerful and majestic and almighty tend to come to mind, but Jesus did not come to earth with any air of worldly wealth or majestic power, just to remind us. He arrived in weakness. I mean, think about his resume, Palestinian Jew, community of marginalized, depressed people, refugee in Africa the first few years of his life, eluding political genocide, his formative years in a nondescript village, a working-class family, blue-collar insignificant, completely invisible. So back to the original question, what does God look like? What does God look like? Well, I can answer the question for us. He looks just like Jesus. He looks just like Jesus. He is Emmanuel, God with us. I Unpacked this a bit last week when I described the greatest miracle perhaps in all of humanity and all of the world. The greatest miracle ever is that God Almighty actually became a human being. This is called the incarnation in flesh. That God actually put on an earth suit so that he could both identify for us and in the perfection of his life become that perfect sacrifice for our sins. That if that story is actually true, that it changes everything, it changes your life and my life and everyone's life and all eternity is absolutely transformed. If God actually became a man and gave his life for us, it's quite a story. It's amazing. And so we know, we know that Jesus is a fair representation of God. Three quick points this morning. The first one is this. I just call it this way, Santa, the Santa Claus Jesus. <laughs> Too often we view God like Santa Claus. genie in a bottle here to fulfill our wishes, promises to fulfill all of our earthly wants and wishes, an idol of consumption who supports the human quest for meaning and purpose in the context of our material possessions. Tried to answer a question this week, and the question was, what do you want for Christmas what do I want for Christmas? And of course, the implication when the question is asked, we ask it of each other all the time, don't we? Because we're, we want to offer a gift, you know, so that's an expression of love. Some, some, for some people, it's a love language, receiving gifts, giving and receiving gifts. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a nice impulse. But as you know, at Christmas, we all can agree, it goes overboard. It goes out of control. It goes crazy. And so we have to to pause and ask, what are the real values at work here? And what really is the most meaningful? Let me think about the way we describe Santa. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. Our popular notions of Santa Claus actually... Reflect the way we've reduced God to some mythical watchdog who judges our niceness or our naughtiness and meets out rewards or punishments accordingly. The picture that you have of God has everything to do with the shaping of your faith and the shaping of your values. So think about that. The ideal magical Christmas that all of us get, are tempted to try to produce—you know—it's just not real. It's not available. You know, that Norman Rockwell painting, you know, that little snapshot in time when everything is perfect. It's not realistic. So we stress ourselves out and even, even go into debt to create that warm and fuzzy feeling for our families and ourselves. And you may have it for like, like four seconds. There it was. <laughs> <laughs> everything was perfect. There for four seconds. We wrongly fantasize, you know, it's going to be perfect this year. All the trimmings, all, all my favorite people. Uncle Eldo isn't isn't drunk this year. No, he'll show up drunk. That's the way it goes. So we we don't have a Santa Claus, Jesus. And here's a second point, and that is could I ask you to consider to expect a miracle? Expect a miracle. Christmas is the celebration of a, of a miracle, of course, and we've edged the miracle worker out of his own birthday. God in human flesh, greatest miracle ever, and we kind of pushed him to the side. And it's time we take it back and focus on his presence among us rather than this pile of gifts over in a corner. Just saying. There is the miracle of Jesus' birth, and there are many other miracles God wants to do through your life, through my life, through our lives. God wants to produce miracles through us. Do you believe it? He wants, he wants to do miraculous things. Let me just remind you that Jesus, the Messiah, was ordinary. Not what people expected. In fact, Isaiah 53 said he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. So he's not going to make uh, People magazine 50 most beautiful people. Apparently, he's just an average-looking guy. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised. We esteemed him not. Again, that's Isaiah chapter 53. Does that sound like the profile of a world changer? You know, one of these high-profile world leaders who are going to enter the stage of history and Change the world as we know it? No. Let me just remind you about his resume. His hometown was Nazareth, insignificant, poor, isolated, no education, no culture, no religious experience. People questioned the possibility of his messianic office. Even when he was coming into his own public ministry, people said, he can't be the Messiah. He's a kid from Nazareth. We saw him growing up. One guy said out loud, what good thing could come out of Nazareth? And the answer that everyone knew was (laughs) nothing good can come out of that town. Jesus was in no way glamorous in any way. In fact, he was probably pretty well-worn for a guy in his 30s back in the day. There are two uh, culturally acceptable questions that we have found in Central Asia when we've traveled there over the years, uh, meeting our friends there. The two questions are these. Uh, first, how old are you and how much money do you make? How old are you how much money do you make? Can you imagine if those were acceptable questions in our culture? Between services, I walked up to a guy and I said, how old are you? And he said, I'll tell you if you don't ask me how much I make. I said, okay. Because, I mean, these are things we guard, but in that culture, it's perfectly normal. And so we're happy to answer the questions. And I always kind of misguess the age of my Central Asian friends because they often appear older than they really are because of the harshness of the world in which they live, making a living there. So back to Jesus. He was not, he was not a guy who would appear in the magazine. He's not a guy who would appear in the high school yearbook, for example, you're most likely to do something great. Totally nondescript, just average in every way. And when we think about that, this is a guy, an average guy from a below average place and a below average start and no formal education and no training and and no real prospects for the future, and yet he's done what he's done, and now he turns to us and says, I want to do miracles through average folks like you too. I had an average, below average start, and you are average, and I want to do miraculous things through your life. Do you have an ear for that? You know, it's, for some of you, when I describe Jesus this way, you go, you know, I've never really thought of Jesus as average like that. It could be, friends, if Jesus, you know, without his glorified uh, cloak on right now, if, if he walked in the room right now and sat down, no one would notice him. Not in his physical appearance. Could be he would just come in the room and sit down you wouldn't even know it. Could he just blend in with all of us other average folk. Maybe he's here right now. We don't even know. And for some of us, when we're hearing this and getting a perspective on it, maybe for the first time we realize Jesus is just an average guy like me, then maybe you could say, wow, you know, I think I could follow a God like that. I think I could serve a God like that. And, and knowing that Jesus had these average qualities, maybe I can see God using me. Throughout Scripture, we see this done time and time again. God choosing ordinary, unqualified people through whom came miracles. The ineloquent Moses. Moses. You know, you watch the movie and you don't get the full benefit of the fact the guy stuttered. He can't complete a sentence without a halted speech. He's got to have somebody with him to interpret what he's trying to say. Well, Pharaoh, what what he really means is you need to let the people go. Why didn't you say so? You, You can't even... This was Moses' argument against God when God called him. I want you to go to, back to Egypt and deliver my people. And, and Moses said, I, 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 I'm not your guy. And if you'd been there, you'd go, Lord, really, we don't think he's, he's the guy who can do this. Can't get out a complete sentence. It was, it was the youngest child, David. The the runt of the family, the the youngest, the least strong, the least capable, the the least proficient, had all these older brothers, had all of these abilities and qualities and skills and dynamic personalities, but God chose the runt of the family. He constantly does this. It was barren Elizabeth. She's been barren. The, the thing she wanted more than anything else in the world was to have a baby. But now, no. All these years waiting and longing and nothing. And then God chooses her. And, of course, this teenage mother of Jesus herself, Mary. Mary sang a song when she found out she was going to give birth to Jesus, and it's recorded in Luke 1, she said, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of my humble state, the humble state, she said, of his servant. Now, the word humble there has a clear meaning. It means low in situation. It means poor. It means depressed. Here, here's your humble, poor, depressed servant in the middle of nowhere in a nothing village, with with no recognition whatsoever, here's this young woman. And yet God says, I pick you. I think the two most iconic, uh, iconic Christian personalities in the last 100 years are these two people, uh, Reverend Dr. Billy Graham and Mother Teresa. When I mention those two names, if you're young, too young in, uh, to actually recognize those names, then you have to immediately Google those names and read a little bit about these two people. And you will be amazed. Mother Teresa, nothing about her. Nothing about her. I mean, you could, you could look at Dr. Graham, you say this, you know, this tall, elo- eloquent, you know, handsome, ends up speaking to more people face-to-face than any, about Jesus about, than anyone in human history has ever talked to people about anything. Remarkable life. Amazing. You know, you can see some, well, I can see where God could use that guy. Mother Teresa, no. She's this little Albanian woman. She's about this tall, and as she gets older, she just keeps shrinking. She's got this little nunnery habit around her face because it's all shriveled up like a raisin. Fingers all gnarled up with arthritis from serving the poor her whole life. (laughs) She just walks around. Occasionally, someone would put a microphone in front of her face. She'd say things like, we know that you've legalized abortion in your country, in the United States. So she said, if you don't want your children, please give them to me. I will take care of them. Bam! My favorite... Political cartoon came near the end of Mother Teresa's life and she was invited one day to the National Prayer Breakfast here in the United States. This is when the Clintons were in the White House and Mother Teresa is the keynote speaker for the National Day of Prayer. And she said the same thing. Look, she, she, looked over, she looked over her little glasses like this at Bill and Hillary Clinton and said again, if you don't want your preborn children, give them to me. I will take care of them. The next day, the political cartoon had Bill Clinton, and this isn't a political statement. This is about Mother Teresa. Had Bill Clinton and Mother Teresa walking down the beach, and their footprints were left in the sand. And Bill Clinton, you know, this above-average-sized man, human being, walking on the beach, and Mother Teresa, you know, not quite half the size physically, and the footprints... Bill Clinton's footprints were little bitty teeny tiny footprints in the sand. And Mother Teresa's had these huge big footprints. God chooses the weak things of this world to confound the wise. He, he takes the small things, the weak things, the inadequate things, the, the, the underutilized things, and through them produces great power. Now, this must be an encouragement to you and me because we're just average folks. And here we are. I mean, look around. I mean, stand at the door and watch people come and go. You say, well, it's just a bunch of average folks coming in. But that's who we are. That's who we are. And the great opportunity that's been given to us average folks is that we can identify with Jesus from his average humble beginnings and the average humble beginnings of so many of his servants in history and say, if God could use them, then God can use me and God can use us. And we should expect miracles. So when the pastor gets up and says, you know, we're going to, we're going to help some disenfranchised families with Christmas this year. And we're going to, we're going to give some children's Bibles away and we're going to help the recovery community a house for women in Winchester, and we're going to build a house for men in Muncie. And you know what's going to happen as a result of that? Miracles are going to happen. So two years, three years from now, Guess who's going to be sitting here? There's going to be a family or two or three or four of men who have lived in our recovery home now with their wife and their children living for Jesus and gainfully employed and making a difference in the world and thankful to God for the miracle that came to their life through average people like us. The world's always looking for elaborate and expensive and extraordinary, and that's why we miss Jesus. And we miss opportunities. Last point, paying the price. The message of Christmas is about a sacrificial gift. It's easy to feel excited about a newborn baby warmly wrapped in a manger bed of straw. This is why so many people come to church on Christmas, because it's safe. I mean, you know, a little baby in a manger, all wrapped up. No crying he makes. That's safe. That's as safe as it gets. Poses no threat to our lifestyle or cultural ideologies. The way we're going through the world. Yeah, I'll come to church on Christmas with, you know, you simple-minded people who believe all that stuff. So people show up. There'll be people here on Friday this week who are never here, have never been here before, won't be here again. They never come during... The course of the year, they won't be back till next Christmas because it's safe, you know, and we'll we sing the right songs and hold candles at the end and sing Silent Night. It's just also, it's, and it's warm and it's wonderful and it's moving and It's it's magical and, and God's spirit will touch the faithful at a deep level, and it will reassure us of our faith and our confidence and hope in Christ. And all of that's fantastic. There will also be people who are just going, yeah, this is warm and fuzzy. But you don't, ex- don't expect me to believe this stuff or for it to impact my life in any way. So the Jesus of the cradle poses no threat to our lifestyle. Or our worldview. But here's the point I want to make. The cradle comes with a cost. You cannot separate the cradle from the cross. Can't do it. Look at Philippians chapter 3.10. I'll put it on the screen. This is the Apostle Paul. He said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And then he added, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Here's my point. Miracles don't appear out of thin air. They don't. People on the outside looking in, they go, wow, that's a miracle. You know, people on the outside look at Union Chapel, for example, and say, can you believe all those churches they are planted and all the churches they've planted in other parts of the world, like Central Asia and, and the amazing things? they're Well, that's a miracle. Look at that miracle. And they're building a recovery home for men now. Boy, we really need that in our community. That's a miracle. Hey, dopey. Miracles don't happen from nothing. Miracles don't happen out of thin air. That's not the way it works. You don't just stand around and suddenly, you know, there's a little moon dust. Somebody sprinkles some fairy dust on you, and now you got a miracle. That's not. That's not the way it works. God produces miracles through real people. Submitted to the work and will of God and willing to pay a sacrificial price to see it done. And the reason we know that the greatest miracle of all is the gift of the life Jesus offered us comes through his ultimate sacrifice of suffering. Willing to pay a price. You can't have that cradle without the cross. No, 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 no. The miracle of Christmas doesn't come to fruition until after the cross. Same is true in your life and mine. This is so good. It's unbelievable. This is so much better than my notes. I don't even know what to say. I have to cheerlead for myself. That's what I want for Christmas more responsive listeners. There. So it should be no surprise that a meaningful Christmas is not found in all the mindless spending and eating and stress. The miracle of Christmas is when we realize the opportunity we have to give of ourselves sacrificially to make a difference for Jesus' sake. In the name of Jesus. For that baby's sake. Born in Bethlehem. Praise God. Can I encourage you to write the note, make the call, visit the shut-in, invite a needy family to your home, give lavishly to the Christmas offering? I mean, don't give until it hurts, give until it feels good. Give until it feels miraculous. Volunteer to serve in one of the local agencies, the Muncie Mission, or First Choice, Christian Ministries. I know some of you have already given and served at Blood and Fire for the Christmas celebration because Beth was there yesterday and saw a number of you as she was dropping off the pies. Go to the jail and visit someone. Make your holiday celebration all about Jesus, his presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, and not about a pile of stuff in a corner, and you'll find the miracle that he wishes through our lives. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pause and pray about these things. Just for a moment, I'll let you go. Back to the questions. Would you just think about them for a second as we're thoughtful and prayerful? Again, how do you picture God? How do you picture him? Does this image have more in common with Santa Claus or with Jesus? And what new family Christmas traditions can you plan that focus more on his presence in your life, your family, and the other stuff. I wonder what ideas might come to your mind and heart that could be seeds for a mission, a mission full of miracles. Who are you connected to that together you could make those miracles happen? Let the Holy Spirit stir your mind and heart. For Jesus' sake. Because after all, it is his birthday. In his name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us?